Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Good morning, buenos dias. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Esteban Tapia, and I'm the pastor of Spanish Language Ministries here at our Emmanuel Faith, and today I'll have the opportunity to share with you from God's Word. But don't panic, I'll do it in English, okay? I'll try my best. Uh, so please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. Uh, but before we start, let me welcome those that are watching online. Uh, let me begin in the following way. When I came to this country 15 years ago, it was very challenging. Challenging because I wasn't able to understand and to speak the language. Ironically, one of the first phrases that I learned to use back then was the phrase, no comprende. I mean, the phrase is not even in English. <laughs> but I learned to use it because I noticed that most people in this country know that this phrase communicates that someone is having trouble understanding something. But that said, I hope that as I'm preaching, you won't be thinking, no comprende what Pastor Esteban is teaching here. <laughs> now, in all seriousness, the passage that we are about to start, he talks about a concept that not many people understand. Not just because they are unfamiliar with it, but because it's spiritual in nature. I'm talking about the concept of the wisdom of God. To those who don't believe in Christ, the concept of God's wisdom might be completely foreign. For only those that are spiritually alive are able to grasp it and experience it. On the other hand, those who don't believe in Christ are not able to understand it. They don't understand it because they don't have a relationship with God and they don't see him as worthy of praise and obedience. As a result, they cannot relate to our faith. They don't share our worldview and they don't understand us. In John chapter 8 verse 43, Jesus uh, told to the uh, spiritual leaders of his day, why do you not understand what I say? So even though Jesus was speaking to them in their own language, the Jewish religious leaders were not able to understand his teachings almost as if there was a language barrier between them. We all agree that language barriers are real, right? ¿Por qué no entienden mi lenguaje les dijo Jesús? <laughs> language barriers are real. But for whatever reason, sometimes we forget that there's more than a language barrier between those of us who follow Jesus and those that, don't, that haven't trusted him yet. There's a spiritual barrier. There's a communication barrier. And yes, there's even a cultural barrier between us and those who don't believe in Christ. It's not that we don't share the American culture necessarily. Is that besides being Americans, we are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and they are not. We need to keep this in mind whenever we have spiritual conversations with non-believers. They might speak our language, but there's a spiritual barrier between us. A barrier that doesn't allow them to understand our walk with Christ. 
They don't understand our love for Jesus. They don't understand that everything we desire in life is him. On the other hand, you, are, you and I are perfectly able to understand them because we are still in this flesh and because we used to think and behave like them and, and maybe even worse. So please, let's not expect them to understand our new reality in Christ and all its implications because they won't. Not because we are smarter than them, it's because we have received a new spiritual nature in Christ, a nature that we didn't share before. Before coming to Christ, we were spiritually dead. But in his grace, God made us spiritually alive because of God's great love. Now that we are in Christ, we have received new life in Jesus Christ. We have passed from being spiritually dead into being spiritually alive. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 through 5. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You see, those who don't believe in Christ are not intentionally choosing to reject us, to ignore us, or to make fun of us when we share our faith with them. It's just that they are simply not able to connect with the message we believe because they are not spiritually alive. Since this is the case, this situation is definitely going to create some distance, tension, and frustration between us and the believers around us. But we cannot allow ourselves to be tempted to try to help God by making the gospel more appealing to them by, by using human manipulative tactics. I'm not saying that we shouldn't invest ourselves in creating new ways to communicate the gospel. What I'm saying is that sometimes we invest too much of our time, effort, and resources trying to figure out more innovative, relevant, and entertaining ways to make the gospel of Jesus more appealing to non-believers. But that's not going to work. It's not. It's not even our job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Paul was convinced about, about this. That's why he told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So if we want unbelievers to be able to understand the message of Christ, if we really want them to come to know Jesus, we need to rely on the work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives as we share the gospel with them. Being effective and fruitful in sharing the gospel doesn't require a degree in theology or philosophy. It is not even necessary to be a great communicator. Being effective and fruitful in sharing the gospel only requires the display of the Holy Spirit's power in us and through us and no mass, nothing else. But the problem 
The problem is that we have the tendency to forget. We forget as individuals and we forget as local congregations. There's a reason why so many of us disqualify ourselves from being able to communicate about Jesus to others. And that's the reason why so many pastors want to sound more like philosophers, intellectuals, motivational speakers, psychologists, and yes, even entertainers instead of preachers of the word. For the sake of being relevant, sometimes we end up adopting spiritually immature approaches to our preaching and sharing about Jesus. The point that Paul is making here. Is that the content of the message, that the wisdom he shares is way higher and richer than the wisdom of this world. And that it's impossible to effectively share it just by using reasoning and persuasive speech. We don't need to be clever thinkers or communicators in order to share, to share the gospel with others. Preachers preach the message of Jesus in the power of the Spirit because they know that the wisdom of God has nothing to do with the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of the world feeds our intellect. But the wisdom of God feeds our spirits. And only the spiritually mature understand this. That's why today I'm confident in sharing with you from God's word. Regardless of my accent and my lack of extensive uh, vocabulary, I'm confident that God will accomplish his purpose in us this morning through the proclamation of his word. My goal today is not to persuade you with a beautiful speech or with my brilliant ideas. I know that I don't have what it takes to do so. So I'll keep it very plain and simple. Today I'll preach about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And if you are okay with that, then let us allow the Holy Spirit to apply the word of God into our hearts. Amen? Amen. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul is about to tell the Corinthians starting on verse 6 on 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Where he says... Yet among the mature, say with me, mature. Yeah, you said it different, huh? <laughs> you said it the right way. Okay, so whenever we get there, you say the word, okay? Yet among the mature. We do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. From this verse on. The Apostle Paul begins to elaborate on the concept of wisdom. He begins, he begins his argument by making a distinction between the wisdom of this world and the wisdom that he preaches. And how they stand radically opposed to each other. It's not that Paul was opposed to, to human wisdom. It's not that he didn't like to learn about the creation of God. This argument was more in line with making clear that human wisdom doesn't lead people to God. That being educated, smart, or sophisticated doesn't make an individual spiritually wise or able to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
The Greek philosophers in Paul's days were wise according to the world's standards. But Paul knew and spoke of a higher wisdom, a wisdom that comes from above. A wisdom that has to do with the eternal, with the age to come. A wisdom that only the spiritually mature appreciate and value. A wisdom foreknown before the foundation of the world. And that God the Father decided to keep out of sight and secret until the right time. In verse 7, he said, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Our glory. Your glory. My glory. For our benefit, for our blessing. So God waited for the perfect moment to reveal his wisdom. Before the foundation of the earth, before everything existed, God determined the way in which he will save sinners like us. In other words, God decided to hide, to keep Christ from sight for thousands of years. The message of Christ was hidden in a mystery, waiting for the right time in which the Son of God will take the form of a servant and die on the cross so that he could pay for the sins of the world. What about that? This is the wisdom of God. This is the kind of wisdom that Paul shared with the Corinthians for a year and a half. Jesus, Jesus became to us wisdom from God. And through him, we received righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God was hidden in a mystery. That's why the religious leaders of the day and the Roman authorities didn't recognize him. Verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they will not have crucified the Lord of glory. So neither the Jewish religious leaders nor the Gentile Roman rulers were able to recognize Jesus. Instead, they rejected him. Relying on their own wisdom, they rejected Jesus and they crucified him. But you know what happened on the third day, right? On the third day, he rose from the dead. And today, he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and I. You know, that's the wisdom of God. It's much more than just a concept. The wisdom of God has to do with the person and the work of Jesus, hidden for a time, but now fully revealed to us. Verse 9, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. This verse is, uh, in a way, like a brief summary of the Old Testament before Jesus came into the world, God spoke through his prophets about the Messiah and the work that he will do. But as we know, he came and most people couldn't see. Most people couldn't hear his message. And since they didn't know what to do with Jesus, they crucified him. But on the cross, 
Jesus defeated the powers of evil and he shed his blood, cleansing the sins of all those who will believe in him. That's why no eye saw, that's what no ear heard before the cross. Not even the apostle Peter. After Jesus began to teach about his suffering, to tell his disciples, his followers about his sufferings in Mark chapter 8, Peter pulled him aside. And he rebuked them. Peter rebuked Jesus. He couldn't believe. He couldn't entertain the idea of a suffering Messiah. No one really did. That was part of what God prepared for those who love him, for those who seek him, for those who waited on him, for those who believed that he had a plan in Jesus. God fulfilled his marvelous plan, the plan prepared by God for us from eternity past. Later on, Peter learned his lesson. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 11, he says, Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, search and inquire carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and I, but us in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long look. God's plan is brilliant. In Christ, we get to experience the fulfillment, the complete fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. To us, the mystery of Christ has been fully revealed. And for what we are reading here, even the angels of God marvel about this plan. Can you imagine the angels observing and contemplating God's plan? Noticing everything, wondering. Salvation? Redemption for all those who believe? Forgiveness of sin? Who is going? The Son? Is He giving His life? According to his plan, Christ died, was buried, and and rose from the dead. And for 40 days, he appeared to more than 500 people. Then he ascended into heaven. And 10 days after his ascension, on the day of Pentecost, God the Father sent the Holy Spirit into the world to open the eyes of those who will call for salvation through the proclamation of the word. You know, something amazing happened on the day of Pentecost. Something really cool, something so amazing. And I'm not sure if we are thinking about the same thing. Because I'm thinking that Peter stood up 
and preached like never before. And in his first sermon, the response was overwhelming. That's what happened. Because the Holy Spirit empowered him. Because the Holy Spirit baptized him. Because the Holy Spirit was swelling in him. If you are a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And it's beautiful that now we get to participate in God's plan. And it's through the preaching of his people that the Holy Spirit reveals Christ as the Lord and Savior of the world. Now, when I say preaching, don't think preaching from a pulpit or a platform like this one. Think, think about evangelism. Think about sharing the message of Jesus, the message of the cross uh, in your families to your children or, or your co-workers or at school. Think about sharing about the love of God wherever you are. The event on the cross was God's plan and provision for our redemption. And this plan is revealed to those in whom the spirit is working when the message of the cross is shared. For the father reveals Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. So pretty much. The wisdom of God has been revealed to us through the work of the Holy Spirit or we won't be able to understand it. It's either we get it or not, but it will depend on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can help us to see with spiritual eyes. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can help us to hear with spiritual ears. Verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Now in case you are wondering what makes the Spirit of God capable of revealing the mystery of God to reveal the person of Jesus Christ. Well, the, the Holy Spirit is divine. He's the third person of the triune God. And he searches and knows everything. Say with me everything. He knows everything about God. Check on verse 11. For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We all know that it's impossible for us to know someone to perfection, right? This year, my wife and I will celebrate 25 years of marriage, and I still sometimes not comprehend a lot of things about her. <laughs> only my wife, Jemima, fully understands Jemima, and yes, only Esteban understands Esteban 100%. What Paul is saying here. It's something that we already know. Only our spirit knows everything about us, including our thoughts and our motivations. Well, in the same way, only the Holy Spirit knows everything about God. Therefore, only he has the capacity to reveal the magnificent plan of God and make it understandable. Holy Spirit makes God's plan 
understandable to us. I think this is really insightful. This makes evident that salvation is the work of the Trinity in unity. You see, it's the Holy Spirit that makes the message of redemption understandable to those who are willing and humble enough to listen to it. Verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. When the Holy Spirit comes along, the proclamation of Jesus and him crucified, he does the most difficult job. He makes the gospel understandable and applies it into people's hearts and guides them into the truth of Jesus Christ. I think this is amazing. I really do. This is the reason why I'm confident doing what I'm doing right now. In the last few months, several people have asked me if I enjoy preaching in English here in the worship center. To be honest, I don't know how to answer that question. The truth is that I'm not a pastor because I wanted to be a pastor. I wasn't this kid in high school wanting, you know, to grow up to become a pastor. I became a pastor at 33. And I never saw that happening to me. God called me to be his preacher. To preach about him. To call people into repentance. To share the love of God. And when he called me to preach, I don't remember him telling him, okay, Esteban, you're going to preach my word, but you better do it just in Spanish. He never said that. <laughs> so that's the reason why I'm here. With that said, preaching in English, it's definitely more challenging to me than doing it in Spanish. But I'm not doing it in, on my own strength. I know that God is able to do his work through the preaching of his word, regardless of my shortcomings. And, and believe me, I'm trying to do my best here. But I know that the results belong to the Lord. Amen. I think that the apostle Paul experienced the same kind of pressure while preaching to the Corinthians. Keep in mind that Paul was a Roman citizen Jew preaching to people of different cultural and socioeconomic backgrounds. Since Corinth was a commercial city, it was very diverse. People from all over the known world lived there. So not everyone in Corinth was Greek or wealthy. Not everyone was well-educated. Not everyone had enough money and time to spend it entertaining philosophical arguments and debates. The city of Corinth had a significant population of slaves and labor workers. 
And I believe that in part, this is a reason why Paul decided to share the gospel in simplicity to them. Paul knew how to engage in conversations with, with the Greek philosophers. He did it in Athens and he did it well. He knew how to engage with the religious leaders of Israel. I mean, when he went into Corinth, he went for the first thing he did was to go to the synagogue. He knew how to do so. But while planting the church of Corinth, he chose to share the message in simplicity to make it accessible to everyone. Say with me, everyone. That's why the church became the church became a mix of Jews and Gentiles, slaves and masters, female and male, young and old. What an audience! Can you imagine how beautiful that was? Little bit of everything. The poor. And the rich, the slave, and the master, the well-educated, and the non-educated. It was a challenge to teach that crew, I'm telling you. That's why Paul decided to go simple, making the gospel accessible to everyone. That's why while doing ministry in Corinth, Paul relied on the power of the Holy Spirit to change the hearts of his listeners. And God made his ministry very fruitful. But once he left the city, it didn't take long for some of the Corinthian believers to start comparing Paul's style of preaching to the preaching of other church leaders. They even were comparing him to the sophists, a group of very eloquent and persuasive teachers of Greek philosophy. Eventually, as these comparisons continued and Paul's critics gained influence, divisions within the church began to arise, leading this local congregation into an identity crisis. Can you imagine the Corinthians had the capacity to make a big impact in the city of Corinth, but they were not united. They were divided. They forgot who they were. For what reason they were called. Knowing on the situation from the very beginning of this letter, the Apostle Paul addressed this issue. He reminded the Corinthians that they were called and well equipped to live for the purposes of God. And Paul knew that the Corinthians had the potential to make a big impact for the kingdom of God in that city. But sadly, they were not thriving as a local congregation. They were divided. Now, this wasn't the only problem within the Corinthians. The church of Corinth was facing multiple challenges. But Paul addressed this problem first because unity is essential in the church. If you might consider something as most essential is unity. Unity. 
for a local church to be healthy and effective, it must be unified. Paul knew it. That's why he appealed to the Corinthians to be united in the same mind and to stop comparing the preachers of their church to each other and to the rhetoric of the sophists. Their behavior was extremely immature. He told them on verse 13, and we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So what the apostle Paul is making clear here is that as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he was not relying on flashing, on flashy human methods of communication to preach spiritual truths. Paul wasn't interested in sharing human knowledge. He was interested in sharing about the message that gives new life. And his method was the simple proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was his method. That's the way how he reached out to people in the city of Corinth. This is the message that overthrew the wisdom of the world. The fact of the matter is that only the gospel of Jesus Christ gives the solution to our biggest problem, sin. Jesus is the solution. Jesus is la respuesta. And as the Holy Spirit does his work, people receive the message for where the Spirit is working, there's salvation. Where the Spirit is working, there's redemption. Where the Spirit is working, there's new spiritual life. You know, the simplicity of the gospel preached in the power of the Spirit is what God uses to call people to salvation. It is not through philosophy, intellectual understanding, or human knowledge that salvation comes, but through believing in Jesus Christ. Once someone believes in the gospel, the dead, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he or she will be ready to believe in the whole counsel of God, the whole truth about God's salvific plan. A truth that I... Natural person cannot understand through reason or intuition. For reason and intuition are not enough to receive spiritual discernment. It's impossible to understand God's truths relying on our logic or on our emotions. God's truths can only be spiritually perceived and embraced by those in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. Paul says in verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. I think that this verse can show us a few things about awareness. You see, in the same way that not everyone in this room is able to understand Spanish, not, a, not everyone in your circle of relationships will be able to understand God's spiritual truths. Not because they are not smart enough or because they lack common sense. But because they haven't been born again. 
They haven't been born of the Spirit. In other words, expecting non-believers to understand God's spiritual truths is unrealistic. Non-believers in Christ are unable to grasp spiritual things unless the Holy Spirit begins to apply them into their hearts. So even the most skilled biblical teacher is unable to make people understand spiritual truths successfully without the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. This reality must challenge us to grow. To grow in love and patience and compassion and kindness toward those around us that are not able to make sense of our spiritual walk with Christ. Even when they treat us like fools for what we believe. I know that this might sound to us like a little too much. But if Jesus was willing to go to the cross, we must be willing to take up ours as well. Instead of getting frustrated, we should be praying Asking for the Holy Spirit to do his work in those with whom we are sharing the gospel. Think about them right now. Who is the Holy Spirit bringing into your mind? Is your teenager? Your grandson, your granddaughter? Who is within your family or your friends that God is bringing into mind? Would you pray for the Holy Spirit to do his work in them? Would you become available to share the message of Jesus with them? I hope you do. Even if they have rejected the message in the past over and over, we need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to continue doing his work. And we shouldn't take their rejection as something personal because it's not. As we know, the Corinthians were questioning Paul's calling, authority, and ability to preach. And yet, Paul didn't try to defend himself. He decided to stand firm in the, in the, on the message of the cross. Paul wasn't concerned about being rejected. He knew that unspiritual human beings have no capacity to apply right judgment over the children of God. And he's about to remind the Corinthians about that. Look at verse 15. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. What Paul is saying in this verse is that only spiritual people, those in whom the Holy Spirit dwells, have the capacity to apply right judgment in regards to spiritual matters. On the other hand, those who are far from God have no capacity to apply that kind of judgment about us. They simply don't get us. Verse 16, for who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct them, but we have the mind of Christ. And 
this verse, Paul is quoting Isaiah 40, 13 to emphasize then since, that since no human is capable of teaching God anything, then no human has authority to question his wisdom and those who believe it and proclaim it. So let's not allow the misjudgment of non-believers over us to affect our calling to proclaim in unity the message of the cross. In the end, those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, regardless of our IQ, have more understanding about spiritual matters than the proud intellectuals of the world that cannot stand our Savior. For we have received the mind of Christ I think this is a really strong statement, don't you think? Having the mind of Christ has tremendous implications. This means that now that we are in Christ, everything in us must embrace his views, his character, and his desires. Having the mind of Christ means that, that we must live in a countercultural way in a society that continues to reject the message of the cross and everything about God. It's a challenging way of living. But there's nothing more exciting to those who have believed the message of the cross than to strive to live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Comprende? Let's pray. Would you stand with me? This is about the work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. He has opened our eyes, He has opened our ears. We cannot stay quiet. You know, all my friends, all my relatives have been bullying me since I was 12 because of Jesus. We didn't call it bully back then, by the way. But that's okay. Many of them have believed. Don't give up. Don't give up on your kids, on your grandchildren. Don't give up on your husband, on your wife. Rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. That person doesn't get you and he won't get you here. But as the word of God has been applied by the spirit of God. As the demonstration of the Holy Spirit becomes evident through your behavior and your conversations, believe me, they will get to know. So let's pray for us and let's pray for them. Father, in the name of Jesus, here we are marveling with the angels of heaven. Oh, how beautiful! How majestic your plan, oh Lord. Thank you so much that we are part.
part of it that we get to experience it and live it out. Will you please use us to share your word, to share about your plan, to share about your love to those around us that don't know you? And will your Holy Spirit empower us and lead us and guide us and apply the word into the lives of those that we love and even those that we don't like that much but that they need you Lord in Jesus name we rely on your power oh triune God amen Amen. Emmanuel Faith, it's always a pleasure to share with you from God's Word. I love you so much. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.